0: Jesus, who is the Son of God, is God Himself. Is this the Jesus that you worship? Is this the Jesus that you profess? This morning we're going to talk about our theme for this morning. Meet Jesus, the Word who took on flesh. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, thank you for your word, that your word speaks to us this morning. Lord, I am aware this morning that there is some wonderful, glorious, heavy theology that we are about to undertake. Lord, I feel like a lightweight this morning in light of your word. But Lord, I pray for clarity. Lord, to properly expound your word this morning. Lord, I pray that your word of God would come this morning with power. And with authority. And that you, son of God, would be glorified. We pray. Amen. Amen. The word became flesh. Today's scripture, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Well, friends, we're going to be flying high this morning. About 30,000 feet, I would say. And we're going to be moving fast. But what I love about flying... Is that it affords an elevated view. It affords us the ability to see the big picture, to be able to gain perspective. So I hope this morning you're sitting at a window seat and that you're looking out this morning as we look at the panoramic view of who Christ is. This is what the prologue that we're going to go through this morning is all about to show us Christ in his fullness, in his glory. In its cosmic splendor. And in doing so, to surface the very themes, like life and light, that we're going to be talking about, that will be introduced in the rest of the book of John. So next Sunday, trust me, we're going to land, we're going to slow down and hit the tarmac, okay? But we're not going to do it today. We'll be doing a lot of theology. And I realize for some, we may be a little tempted this morning, perhaps, say, well, where's the application, Corey? And we we, want to jump quickly to it. Please don't jump too soon. Please don't bail on me. There are things that God wants you to see, and there are things that God wants you to feel this morning. Oh, and that is my prayer. Several weeks ago, our family flew to California as we crossed over the Sierra Nevada mountain range our children literally began starting to, to scream. They said, whoa, mountains! They had never seen mountains like those before. Then they said, whoa, snow! They had never seen snow, or at least snow, like that before. I was a little embarrassed. You know, I want to see the guy next to me. My kids are from Florida, okay? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Give me a break. Oh, My prayer this morning is that we would say, whoa, I have never seen Christ quite like that. And the application, the response would be worship. Worship this morning. You ready? All right, fasten your seatbelts. John chapter one, verse one. Please turn there. We're gonna be camping out, referring to the word continually throughout the message today. And we're gonna start in the beginning with verse 1 of John 1 in our series life from the gospel of John John 1 starting with verse 1 In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God He was in the beginning with God All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made it took the apostle john more than three years to see this to figure out and to see the fullness of who jesus christ is but this morning in our text in this letter that john has written this gospel should say he wants us to see in three verses would take him over three years to see and that is the fullness of God. He wants us to see Christ's genealogy and his identity established from the very beginning that Jesus is the eternal word of God. Well, you may ask, well, how do we know that the word referred to here is Jesus? I think we see it most clearly in verse 14 where we read, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The only Son of the Father who came in the flesh. Sound familiar? Yes. It is Jesus. Jesus, the Word of God, who is eternal. We read in verse 1 again, In the beginning was the Word. And we read in verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. In our Christianity Explored course, which we began this past Thursday, we're going through the Gospel of Mark, another account of Christ's life. And the Gospel of Mark begins like this. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then Mark proceeds to talk about John the Baptist, who came before Christ to proclaim And usher in Christ, that is his public and earthly ministry. Well, the Apostle John in our gospel this morning is saying and pointing back to another beginning, the beginning of time. He's referring back to Genesis 1, which Dan read. In other words, the starting point of the gospel of Jesus Christ can be traced back not to John the Baptist. Not even to the virgin birth of Jesus. Not even to Genesis 3 where we see the fall of man in the garden. No, the beginning of the gospel can be traced back from before the beginning of the universe. That is what we see right here in the first few verses. That Jesus, the Word, is in fact God. And we read in verse 1 again. And the word was with God. See that? And the word was God. Here we have, church, the very building blocks of the Trinity. That God exists in more than one person. Christ has been in relationship with God the Father as the second person of the Godhead from all eternity. Christ is fully God. Yes, he is. But he's also fully man. Remember we read, fully God, the word was God, and yet he's distinct. The word was with God. In one, two concise verses, we have the Trinity expressed. Here is the mind-blowing truth and identity of Christ. And the only proper response is worship. To drive home this point, John goes on to say, imaging back again to Genesis chapter 1, And following. He does this in verse three. He says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. To this very day, people resist worshiping Jesus Christ as God, denying his very divinity. If you've spoken with the Jehovah Witness, perhaps it's come to your door. They will tell you that Jesus Christ was a created God. Oh no, but he is not the creator God. And they will often cite this verse, John 1.1. 1, 1. But they will say and interpret it as such. The word that is Jesus was not God, was a God. Well friends, that is a poor and inconsistent translation. And it's a blatant misinterpretation of, of this passage. But friends, this heresy, it's nothing new. First of all, I think it's in our hearts that we fail to acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he really is. But this heresy goes way back. It goes back at least to the 4th century AD. It's called Arianism. Named after its proponent, a priest from Alexandria named Arius, who proposed this view that Christ, in fact, is a created being. Well, friends, he was denounced. He was condemned as a heretic at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. When the churches gathered and affirmed this, that we believe in one God and in one Lord Jesus Christ, God of God, light of lights, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. Jesus Christ, was not created. You don't have to know Greek to know this. Just look at verse 3 again. We read, all things were made through him. John could have stopped there, but he takes on this next line, just to make sure you're doubly clear. And without him, that is without Christ, was not anything made that was made. Christ did not make himself, okay? Christ is the creator, the uncreated one. Jesus is not the best of all creation. He is the author and the agent of all creation. And once again, he demands our worship. The Apostle Paul, you see, the, excuse, the Apostle John wants us to see in his gospel. He wants us to read his gospel with this truth firmly fixed in our minds, in our hearts. See, he wants us to see that the man at the wedding will preach that will we'll preach that in a couple of weeks. And the man at the well is the creator of the universe. He wants us to see as we read his gospel that the one who cleansed the temple, the one who washed the disciples' feet is the creator of the cosmos. That he, in fact, is the cosmic king. He is the cosmic king. To put it in the words of one songwriter, Graham Kendrick, a song I used to sing, it dates me way back in the eighties. There's a refrain from the song Servant King. He says, Hands which flung the stars into space, two cruel nails surrendered. Is that how you view Jesus? But if this is true, why does John refer to Jesus then as the word? It may seem a fairly curious designation. But it's in this phrase, the Word, that we have perhaps the most powerful and profound statement of who Jesus is. Jesus, as the Word, is the very self-expression of God. He is the very self-revelation of God who brings life a theme of the Gospel of John, who brings light, another theme in the Gospel of John. Now let me explain. The Word is God's self-expression. Our God is a God who speaks, does He not? God is always speaking. He performs all His actions by speaking. In fact, that's what separates God from all the other gods, lowercase g, right? In the Bible, they are deaf and dumb. But our God, the Creator God, speaks, and you see His word is inseparable from His actions. That's why we have a hard time conceiving it. We may say one thing and do another. No, but God's word is His very action. We see that right in Genesis one. God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. God said, "Let the earth sprout vegetation," and there was carrots and there was trees. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And there were iguanas. There were alligators. You name it. God said it, and it was. When God speaks, it is action. You see, in speaking, God uses words. And catch this. Make the connection. Christ is the very word that God is speaking to us. It's the very word which he uses to give life and to sustain life and to testify about himself. That's why Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, could save our cosmic king. Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things And catch this in him all things hold together that is Christ that is Jesus the word John puts it this way in verse 4 chapter 1 in simple phrase he says in him was life in him was life And that life was the light of man. I.e., that light, that life was the revelation of God to man. Oh, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the Word who perfectly expresses and executes the very will of God, which cannot and will not fail. Many Jews, when they heard this term, word, they knew their Bibles, their Old Testament, the Torah, would have been drawn by John's reference of the word to a particular passage in prophet, the prophet Isaiah. Let me read for you Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there... But water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, and it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isn't that great? In other words, the word will not fail to accomplish all of God's purposes. All of God's purposes in creation. All of God's purposes in judgment. All of God's purposes in redemption. All of God's purposes in salvation history. God's word will not fail. And that word is Jesus. Uh, we read on in John 1 verse 6. Please look at it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness. as a the word witness. To bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist came as a witness to this light. As a witness to the word, who is God's very self-expression and revelation. Here, John is introducing us to another theme Motif of John, and that is witness. But why is John called a witness? Please understand, because throughout the book of John, Jesus is on trial. The question before us is Is Jesus God, the Messiah? By calling Jesus the Word, John is effectively saying Jesus is ultimately not the one on trial. You are the one on trial. He is the one who has all authority and power to grant you life. He is the one who has the power to condemn you or to acquit you. The gavel is in his hand. Jesus is the almighty creator who owns you. He has the right to judge you. He also has the power to save you. He's the mighty word of God. And his word is sure, his word is certain, and it will not fail. That is Jesus, the authoritative word of God to us. You see, in our culture, Jesus is too often presented to be really a a choice. You could say he's presented in this world as a contestant among the battle of the gods. It's almost like even evangelicalism. we, We often talk about Jesus as, would you choose him as the best one to fulfill your needs? Well, he certainly does satisfy us and fulfill us but I want you to understand Jesus here is not on stage to be judged by you. Jesus is not trying to be the next American idol, okay? If your vote is for Jesus as the next American idol, please text John 316 on your mobile phone. Oh, my friends, that is not what this is about. The fact of the matter is that it doesn't matter about your opinion about Jesus or ultimately what you think about him. Here's the question. Will you believe? Do you believe? And will you receive him? Let's read on, verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Oh, Jesus came to his own creation, the very ones and things that he had created, yet the world did not recognize recognize him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The word came to his chosen people, i.e. the Jews, and yet they rejected him. They did not believe. A theme that we'll also see here unpacked in the Gospel of John. Even though the Jews had received not just general revelation of God through His creation, but special revelation of God through His covenant promises, they rebelled and did not believe. You see, it was the Jews who had received the covenant promises that God had first made to Abraham and to the patriarchs. It was the Jews who had first received the law at Mount Sinai. It was the Jews who had received the words and ministry of the prophets who went before Jesus. You see, when God spoke to Abraham and said, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, Jesus was right there doing the blessing. When God spoke to Moses in the burning bush and revealed himself as the great I am, Jesus was right there as the great I am." When God thundered from Mount Sinai and gave Moses the law, God was right there, ushering forth God's very commands. You see in one sense, it's no wonder that the Jews rejected Christ in His earthly ministry. They did not receive Him. Because they already had rejected Him hundreds of years earlier. Do you see it? Does that affect the way we read our Old Testament? That Christ was there. When we receive the word, we're receiving Christ. Old Testament and then New Testament as its final revelation. But friends, here's the most amazing news of all. That the word has gone out, not just to the Jews, but has now come to us, the Gentiles as well. That he has come to us, to all, to all who receive him. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is an open invitation to those who receive, to those who believe, communicating, a, placing a personal trust in Christ, our word. But it also says something else. It says believe in his name. Believe in his name. The name is his character. His name is the authoritative, life-giving word of God who has come to us and it is he who has given us what? The right. The word has all the authority, right? He has given us the right to become children of God. Verse 13. Oh, this is great. Oh yeah. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It is not its physical birth, it's not our physical birth, nor our ethnic descent. Nor is it our human effort that makes people children of God. It is God's supernatural work of faith that I believe even this morning he is imparting to some of you. How do you believe in this Jesus? The Jesus of the word. The Jesus who is the word. To sum up this first point, the word of God. Jesus didn't come. didn't just come on the scene when he first took on flesh. It wasn't like he was sitting on the bench saying, coach, put me in. Put me in the game. For all the Old Testament. And finally, at 0 AD, God says, okay, we're down by a zillion points. Christ, get in the game. Do your stuff. No, that's not how it works. Do you see? It is his game. Christ, the word, was executing the game plan of the coach from all eternity. Do you believe God has laid out all the evidence? The evidence is the word of God who took on flesh. He is the eternal word of God who was one with the Father in divinity, yet took on flesh and became one with us in humanity. Who took on flesh, as a human. We read in verse, how the glorious verse, verse 14. We read, and the word became flesh. Are there any more amazing words? I think this is the greatest miracle of all. That God became man. Still fully God, yet fully man. One person, two natures. Two natures, united in one person. You want to impress someone? Call that the hypostatic union. Good theological word. Okay? Two natures and one person. Fully God, fully man in Christ. And he became human. He became human forevermore. It was a permanent change. That word that word there that underlies our English word became, to quote one commentator, expresses that a person or thing changes its property and enters into a new condition, becomes something that it was not before. You understand, Christ did not have flesh prior to his coming to earth. He was pre-incarnate, as we say. It's another way of saying we don't know quite what he was, okay? (laughs) But he wasn't flesh, all right? Well, we do know. We know that God is spirit. Jesus is God, so he is spirit, okay? But he came in the flesh. But this verb, in its verb tense, also communicates something very important. That of completed action. He became, past tense, completed once and for all, human in the flesh. In other words, there was no going back. He wasn't changing, okay, back and forth between natures. He was just putting on some clothes and taking them off. We might have to have it. No, he was clothed in flesh, in humanity, forevermore. Christ is still human. You know that? He's still human. Oh, he's at the right hand of the Father, but he's still human. He's coming back. When he comes back, he's coming back in the flesh. He's going to reign with us for all eternity in the flesh as a human, in the new heavens, in new earth, fully God, yet fully man. Oh, I don't have time to go into it, but just jot down Revelation 19.13. It speaks of the word of God coming back down to earth in the flesh. But this time, not as Savior, but as Judge. The Word of God is human, and He will be human. He came as a human. But what's interesting is John doesn't use the word human, although he means that. He uses the word flesh. There's something else he wants to communicate here. He came not merely as a human, but He came in the flesh. He he fully identified with us. This word flesh in this context refers to human frailty. And vulnerability, the transcendent cosmic king, came in weakness and frailty in the flesh. I love it. Hebrews 4, 15 comes to mind. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. The one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Oh, he came in weakness. Yes, he was even tempted, in the flesh. The word was made In our creatureliness, our creatureliness, and our weakness. Yet he was fully God. So the word came in the flesh. It gets even better. And he dwelt among us. God didn't just say the word. He did not just say the word. But he sent the word to dwell among us. You and me. On earth, yes, for 33 years. But for all eternity as well. Dwelling with us. I love this, verse 14. You wouldn't see it in the English. But literally, behind the English is this meaning. The word of God came. And the word for dwell is he pitched his tent. I love that. Or he tabernacled among us. Dwelling, i.e., he pitched his tent and tabernacle among us. Isn't that cool? He came to dwell among us, to live among us, to work among us. He came to show us what God is like. Not even primarily through his words, although his words are inspired, but he came to show us what God is like as a living, breathing word of God. In other words, the word came in the flesh as a supreme revelation of God, as the final message of God to his people. He came as the glory of God. As see in your notes. John verse 14. Let me read the whole thing through. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The last point, catch this. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see when Christ said that he pitched his tent or tabernacle among us, he was tapping into a reservoir of Old Testament imagery. He was tapping into a storyline all right, that we would be familiar with a storyline that anticipated the coming of Christ in the flesh himself. So, what does pitched his tent remind you of? The book of Exodus, right, which we studied a couple years ago, particularly the Israelites when they were in the desert. We read in Exodus chapter thirty-three. I believe in this text, John is referring back. To this scene, Exodus 33, starting with verse 18. And let me read the word. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord I am, that is. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will be shown mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses said, Please, Lord, show me your glory. But he could not see Christ, he could not see God face to face. But my friends, we now have seen his face, we have seen the glory of God. His name is Jesus, the one and only, unique Son of the father full of grace and truth or to put it in old testament covenant language he who was abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness you see the glory of the incarnation wasn't Christ a kind of glory on earth many people interacted with Jesus and did not believe and did not see his glory Oh, we saw a it—a sneak peek of it in the transformation, the transfiguration. It's not the Shekinah glory that Luke John is talking about here. No, it was the manifestation of His grace and His goodness in fulfilling His word to come and to redeem us and to abide and to dwell among us in establishing the truth, the veracity of His very claims. He came as the very glory of God He came, secondly, as the grace of God. Verse 16 of John 1. Let's look at it. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, because of the fullness and vastness of Christ's grace and truth, i.e. steadfast love and faithfulness, We now have grace upon grace. Most literally, this phrase can be translated grace instead of grace or grace that replaces an earlier grace. Let me explain. Hang in there. The tabernacle, John the Baptist, the Mosaic law was the grace of God which anticipated, which pointed to and led to the coming of the word in the flesh. See, all of history, prior to Christ's arrival, was promissory revelation to be fulfilled in God's supreme and final revelation. The word became flesh. I would quote John Piper. The contrast is that Moses points to grace, but Jesus performs grace. Moses reports the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. The law mirrors the light of God. But Jesus is the light of God. And as you read in John 1, verse 9, Jesus, the coming word, is the true light. He is the true light, which enlightens everyone. True in this context is that he is the ultimate. He is the final. He is the supreme light. All that which came early was provisional, was transitory, okay? What's pointing to the arrival of the one true light the grace upon grace the ultimate grace that came in christ jesus he is the final revelation of god he is the final message of god oh there there is no other message there is no other revelation to come this is it right here the question is what are you waiting for this is the final message god to man through his word who became flesh He's the glory of God. He's the grace of God that trumps all of the grace. And thirdly, he is the exegesis of God. Fancy word. Let me explain. Well, first of all, do you want to see God? Do you want to know what he's like? There's a world crying out. It's a world you and I live in. People are saying, one way or the other. They're saying, show me God. They're saying, if you are the one true God, God, prove yourself. God, if you're there, if you're anywhere, help me. In verse eighteen we read, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, that is Jesus, has made him known. It's Jesus at the Father's side. If you have an ESV in your footnote, I'll tell you that right there that phrase at the Father's side literally is in the Father's bosom, in his heart. Oh, Jesus, who is in the Father's bosom and heart, has made God known. You don't need to look any further if you want to know God this morning. If you want to know what God is like and what He has said, you look to Jesus, the living Word. It's as, it's as if God had said, You want to know me? and plucked Jesus out of his heart and bosom. Say, like, Here, you want to know me? You can know me. This is my Son, come in the flesh. Do you receive him? Do you believe in him as the word of God revealed to you? Well, verse 18 says, he made him, that is God known. I use the word exegesis because that's what it literally means in the Greek. That Jesus is the exegesis of God. You may ask, Corey, what is exegesis? It's what we're doing this morning. We are exegeting the word of God. We are clarifying and interpreting the word of God. That is what Christ does for God. He clarifies who God is. He reveals who God is. In the following 37 weeks, church, 37 weeks, we're going to be exegeting God. That's what the gospel of John does. And we're going to do it as seen in God's eternal word the word became flesh. You want to know God? Well, here's the news. You can. Look at Jesus. But you don't need to wait to wait the end of the book. We're going to get there. We're going to take our time getting there. You don't need to wait. A while back, I received a, a letter soliciting me to resubscribe to a periodical that I had once um, read. I'm sure knowing the tendency of many readers to wait until the last minute, hoping for the best possible deal or offer, the letter said, and I appreciated these words, you will never receive a better offer. This is the best offer, and this is the final letter. Friends, Christ is the final and decisive letter of God to man. It simply can't get any better. There may be some of you who you're hoping it does, and you're just waiting. You're you're living life, kind of waiting for the, the next thing. Perhaps it's the next prophetic word. Perhaps it's the next job. Perhaps it's the next relationship. Waiting for something better. You're not living in the now. God is saying, don't put your hopes in those things. Put your hope in Christ. He is the final message and revelation of God. In Him, will you find life? In Him, you will find purpose and meaning. It is through Him that we can become children of God. That we can become part of His family. How? But as we read in John one, by believing in His name. But to believe in Christ's name, the Word of God, is to come to God on His terms, on His terms, not as ours. What are his terms? To acknowledge him as a creator. The one who has the power to condemn you and the power to acquit you for your very sins and your rebellion against God. And the only reason he will acquit you is that he sent his son, the word become flesh, to live and to die among you, paying the just penalty for your sin and mine. Church, meet Jesus, the Word of God, who took on flesh and received life. Believe in Him. Confess your sin. Confess your, your unbelief or previous unbelief God is opening your eyes this morning and your ears to hear. And place your trust in Him while your breath remains and the offer stands. For those who are Christians this morning, Oh, let us worship God in awe of our cosmic king and savior. 2 Corinthians verse 4-6 says this. And this is my prayer. For God who said that light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Oh, may you see Let's glory in that light right now. Worship team can come on on up. As you do so, let us, let us pray. Oh Lord, we confess this morning that this is a mystery. The word of God has become flesh. Father, open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes now to respond to the glorious revelation of God as seen in Jesus, the word of God, our Savior. So Lord, do a work now, we pray in our hearts. May there be an awe, may there be a response fitting of the word that we have just heard. Allow us to feel, allow us to see, allow us to worship you as you really are. To glory in the mystery of the word become flesh. And say, Lord, I submit, I surrender, I am yours. You are my cosmic king who's come to live and die for me. Lord, invade our hearts now we pray, even as we sing, amen.